The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Wednesday, December 20 edition of PFTPM. We continue to work our way through the season doing this every Wednesday, except when we don't, but there's no reason not to do it on Wednesday from now until whenever we reach the end of the road. Super Bowl 58 coming up inevitably. Macy's in the room. She may want to get out at some point. She's back there behind me somewhere. You'll see her at some point. She's the highlight of the program. I've gotten a lot of requests to get her back in the room for the PFTPM podcast. She is here. I don't know. I can't tell if you see her. She's back there somewhere. You'll see her eventually. All right. And eventually, or more accurately, in five days, you'll see three NFL games. Captive audience, Monday, Christmas Day, plus Christmas Eve game. Four games that take full advantage of the fact that you have millions of people sitting around with TVs that otherwise would be tuned to It's a Wonderful Life or a Christmas Story. Why not watch NFL games? And last year when the NFL for the first time did three Christmas Day games, it blew away the NBA ratings. The audience for a ridiculous joke of a game between the Rams and the Broncos was through the roof. It may be even better to take full advantage of Christmas than Thanksgiving. The numbers may ultimately be better on Christmas. And the real question that I have moving forward, next year, Christmas lands on a Wednesday, thanks to the leap year in 2024. At one point earlier this year, when the NFL was doing its various conference calls and media availabilities after announcing the 2023 schedule, a comment was made by Mike North, who's now basically in charge of the process, that they'll play Christmas Day games except when it lands on Tuesday or Wednesday. Are you sure they won't play Christmas Day games on Tuesday and Wednesday? Are you sure about that? It's too much money to be made. There's too many eyeballs to gather. Why would you want to surrender that day? Now that you have claimed it from the NBA, why would you want to surrender it when it lands on Tuesday or Wednesday? I believe that by next year, by the time they announce the schedule, there will be a solution to whatever issues would arise when it comes to making sure that teams are rested and ready to go. We'll see games on Wednesday, Christmas Day, and maybe even a game on Tuesday night, Christmas Eve. I'll be surprised if we don't see that. I have no inside information. I just have 23 years of experience as to how the NFL operates, and here's how it operates. Grab every dollar that you can. What better way to do that than not surrender a day that they quickly and immediately took over from the NBA? What else are people going to do? They're going to be accustomed to watching football on Christmas Day. They're going to want it. They're not going to wait another year. You can't take a year off. It's too ingrained. And I don't know what they'll do. Do you treat whatever week it would be? Is it the start of the week, Wednesday? Or is it the end of the prior week? 
And do you hold the buys if the team's involved? It would be weird to give somebody a week 15 or a week 17 buy. They'll find a way to do it, though. There was a time when there was an uneven number of teams, 1999 through 2001. One team had to buy every week of the year because there weren't enough teams for everyone to play a game. So that's how they did the buys. Somebody had to buy week one, week two, week three, all the way until week 17. The last week of the season, one of the, seven, uh, one of the 31 teams at the time did not play. So they'll do whatever they have to do in order to justify what they want to do. And I can't imagine them not wanting to play on Christmas Day after doing it with three games last year, three games this year, plus that NFL Network-only game on Christmas Eve. They already call it a holiday classic or holiday tradition. You can't just take a year or two off. Now, this cycle, it would just be Wednesday because we're skipping over Tuesday Christmas. But I just don't see it happening. They'll come up with a solution, and everyone will deal with it, and they'll all go count their money on Christmas Day like a bunch of Ebenezer Scrooges. And that's the thing for the players. Patrick Mahomes and I talked about this after their win over the Patriots. He's excited to have a standalone game on Christmas Day that's happening at 1 o'clock Eastern, right around the time people have opened presents and they're getting ready to eat and everyone's happy. But he's not going to be at home on Christmas Eve with his kids or Christmas morning with his kids. And for as long as the NFL is now going to take over Christmas, that's going to be a practical impact for the family members of the players who would rather be with their families on Christmas Day. But that package of games is going to become too valuable for the NFL to just say, eh, we'll only do it when Christmas is on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. It's going to be a seven-day-a-week thing, and they will solve any and all issues with rest, short weeks, long weeks, whatever. They'll find a way to do it because they're going to want to do it. This week's trio of Christmas games ends with one of the best games of the year. 49ers hosting the Baltimore Ravens. Top two teams in the NFL right now. And there's a big gap between the 49ers and the Ravens. Or is there? This is a hell of an opportunity for the Ravens. They fly across the country and beat the 49ers with everyone watching on ESPN and ABC. Forget about the debate over who's MVP from the 49ers. Lamar Jackson's the MVP. If the Ravens go out to San Francisco and beat the 49ers, and then the Ravens end up the one seed in the AFC, Lamar Jackson is the NFL MVP. Not Brock Purdy, not Trent Williams, not Christian McCaffrey, not Debo Samuel. McCaffrey recently told Tom Brady he would vote Purdy, then Trent Williams. You can make the argument for any of those four guys, some stronger than others. And I think that among them, there'll be enough vote splitting to open the door for someone like Lamar, especially if Lamar and the Ravens win on Christmas night. Now, I don't think they will. How could you pick against the 49ers at this point? They've won six games in a row, and as long as those key players are healthy, they have the best team around in the NFL by far. But quite an opportunity. If anyone is going to get his team ready for Christmas night, it's going to be John Harbaugh. If any quarterback is going to be ready to carry his team to a victory under adverse circumstances, with everyone watching, a potential Super Bowl preview, it's going to be Lamar Jackson. Baltimore Ravens trying to take over the AFC North. The Steelers at one point looked like they would threaten. Now they're seven and seven from seven and four to seven and seven. Not the way you want to head into December. I really do have a feeling that the end is coming for the Steelers and Mike Tomlin. Don't know anything yet, 
but it just feels like it's heading in that direction. And it does feel like it's going to be initiated by Tomlin or by some other team that wants to hire Tomlin. We've been spitballing some of the possibilities. The commanders make the most sense. The Falcons could be intriguing. The Chargers, interesting thought. The Bears, if they make a change. The Panthers, if Mike Tomlin would be willing to work for David Tepper, and if Tepper would be willing to hire a defensive coach, they've already put out the word they're looking for an offensive coach. Really, any team making coaching change. And I've said before that if Tomlin ever got fired, there are teams that would otherwise be happy with the coach they have that would fire their head coach for a chance to hire Tomlin. And the thing we need to remember, even though the process doesn't officially begin until the end of the regular season, and for the teams that have already fired their coaches, they're doing their work behind the scenes, but the teams that haven't fired their coaches, they're, they don't just pull the ripcord on the lawnmower the day after the season ends or the afternoon, the evening after the season ends. They know where they're going to go. And a lot of these owners know who they're going to hire. And just like I said a couple of months ago about Bill Belichick and the Patriots, if there's a deal to be done for him to be essentially traded to another team, there's a good chance it gets worked out before we even get to the end of the season. Same thing with the Steelers. I mean, if I'm a guy that I know I'm going to hire or fire, excuse me, my current coach and hire a new one, and I'm interested in Tomlin. I'm finding a way to have an off-the-record conversation or communication through back channels with Art Rooney of the Steelers to find out whether or not, number one, Tomlin's available, and number two, what it would take. And you've talked to Tomlin's agent off the record through back channels, conversations that never happen, burner phones if you have to do it. Is your guy interested in coaching Team X, whatever team it is? Interested in this job? Interested in that job? We'd be naive to think those kinds of things aren't happening now. No one's going to come out and say it, because if you say it, you get in trouble. But I think a lot of these cakes are baked before we get to the process that they're pulling up the, you know, that thing that that they keep cake under. I'm sure there's a name for it. The cake. I don't know what it's called. You lift it up and there's your cake. That cake's already getting baked, I think, for a lot of these teams looking for coaches. And if anyone's going to be interested in Tomlin, it's not a phone call that's going to be made after week 18. It's a phone call that maybe was made over the course of the past week, if not sooner, when it really started to become palpable that the Steelers and Tomlin may be headed for a split. And I continue to be interested in the possibility that the Jets will be the team at the urging of Aaron Rodgers that tries to make a run at Mike Tomlin. And I'm not saying Robert Sala should be fired. I just think that knowing the way Rodgers operates, his respect for Tomlin, and owner Woody Johnson's combination of willingness to do something after such a disappointing season and placate Rodgers, who handed over $33.5 million, that, that cash that Rodgers handed over goes a long way toward paying Mike Tomlin. It'll be interesting. And it all comes down to where Tomlin wants to go. And if Tomlin doesn't like the terms that are being offered by a new team to essentially trade for his services for one more year under his current contract, he can just say, I'll finish the season, 2024, I'll become a free agent. We never see that happen. We never see a coach consciously and deliberately become a free agent and say, I don't want a new contract. 
I don't want to stay. I'm going to go where I want to go once my contract is expired. I think the owners frown upon that because that's a way to give more coaches leverage and drive up the price that it costs to hire NFL coaches. There's no salary cap. There's also no salary floor. There's no requirement to spend any amount of money on a head coach. And I think that if we had access to all the numbers over the past 50 years, we would see that the rate of player pay has gone up astronomically in comparison to the rate of head coaching pay. Speaking of the Jets, we last saw Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud in New York, New Jersey. Ten days ago, suffered a concussion. Jets win, Texans lose. Shereen Williams spotted a video from the Texans-Broncos game the prior week, before the Jets game. And I hadn't seen this before because it just gets lost in the crush of one o'clock Eastern games on a Sunday. And C.J. Stroud finished the game. He missed two plays. We have a link in the story at PFT to the video, and Sims and I talked about it earlier today. He should have been pulled from that game. And I don't care what the league is going to say about it. I actually considered requesting comment before I wrote about it. I didn't for a couple of reasons. First of all, I didn't want to wait to not get an answer and then have to ask again and then wait to not get an answer and ask again because that's how it goes when there's a question posed by me that is along the lines of something they'd rather not answer. And I think I just screwed up my microphone and hopefully I'll get it fixed here. Let me make sure I am on the right microphone before I keep going. Come on, microphone. Cooperate with me. Cooperate with me, you damn microphone. Let's see if it's working now. Well, this really stinks. Let me try it one more time here. Uh-oh. And I think we're back on the better microphone. Doesn't matter either way. Anyway, I was making a point and I can't remember what it was. Oh, if you watch that video. Oh, and I was saying that the NFL, uh, I thought about requesting comment. I don't, I don't need them to try to word salad slash gaslight me into thinking that C.J. Stroud wasn't demonstrating ataxia. Macy, Macy is chiming in. I don't know if you heard that. But I, I am not going to ignore what I see with my own eyes. That's why I say go watch the video. Gross motor instability used to, use, used to be the term that they used. That was the Tuatonga Bailoa back injury that they gaslight slash word salad us into thinking wasn't a back injury. This C.J. Stroud thing, first of all, he's out. And his teammates drag him to his feet. And then he's wobbling. And the official tells him, go to the sideline for an evaluation. And he, like, like messes, like it's my rib or it's, it's somewhere in here. The official wouldn't hear any of it. And then, as C.J. Stroud is walking away and still talking to the official, you can see he's still wobbly. How is that not a taxia? Now, if the, again, if the NFL wants to put out a statement, and if they want to say it's not ataxia and who is anyone other than our experts to determine what is ataxia, well, what the hell else are they supposed to look at other than a guy who was wobbly, a guy who looked like he was out flat on his back. They pulled him up and he was wobbly. And now the, the Texans would go on to win that game over the Broncos and it was mid fourth quarter. See, that, that's the problem the NFL faces. They want to be able to say to the world, we care about player brains. We care about health and safety. We care about 
developing and implementing a proper protocol to ensure the highest level of caution and care for our players who may or may not have suffered concussions. But when the rubber meets the road during a game, the prospect of removing a player from the action and having him gone for, what, 5, 10, 15 minutes of real time in that Eagles-Cowboys game. Remember Jalen Hurts first went to the blue tent, then went into the locker room for a concussion evaluation before he returned to the game? And he was fine. If you don't have your best quarterback, ultimately because the guy didn't have a concussion, just because the guy, you know, showed some signs that required a full evaluation. I don't think the NFL wants to do that. And none of the people who have access to the button that shuts everything down and requires a concussion evaluation want to be the one to do it. What if you're the one that pulls a guy out that takes him out of the game? In crunch time, it's another way that people could be suspicious about the fix being in. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. What a convenient time for a concussion evaluation. Oh, he was fine. Oh, oh, he was fine. You took him out for 15 minutes of real time. He missed two drives and he was perfectly fine. It's tough balance. Now, in Stroud's case, if that was a taxi, and if that was a taxi, it wasn't a taxi. I don't know what is a taxi. But if that's a taxi, it's not even a matter of a concussion evaluation. He's shut down. See, and this is the same idea. The same folks who decide whether or not to hit the button for a concussion evaluation are the same folks who decide to hit the button for a finding of a taxia, and we got to take him out of the game. And nobody wants to be the one to do it. Nobody wants to carry that potential blame for being a little too chicken little-ish, a little too rash, a little too cautious. And it tells me that the NFL's strategy here, whether they've ever developed it and articulated it or not, we'd rather be wrong letting a guy with a concussion play than have a bunch of guys who don't have concussions under a standard where we're way too sensitive, pulling guys out of games for evaluations or pulling guys out because we think they have a taxi and not letting them return to the games. We don't want that. We'll take the risk of a guy having a concussion and maybe having another concussion and everything that could go along with that. And the other point here, too, is you have to protect the players from themselves and understand that the players are going to try to keep playing. The new device, and this may have been what C.J. Stroud was trying to do against the Broncos, you lay there and collect yourself before you have to even try to show that you don't have a taxi. J.J. Watt, or T.J. Watt, excuse me, did that. Trevor Lawrence did that on Sunday night in the third quarter when he hit his head against the turf violently to a Tonga Vailoa style. Players want to play. And that now becomes a viable way to avoid anyone saying, sorry, you're shut down. We think you have a taxi. When TJ Watt explained the process that resulted in him returning to the game a couple of weeks ago against the Patriots with the tin advisor and no big deal, knee to the face, no big deal. He's fine. Check his jaw. He's fine. Check his eyes. He's fine. Give him a tin advisor. He's fine. Next day, oh, he's got a concussion. Watt himself said, we handled everything the right way. It's not about we. You're not part of we. You're a patient who does whatever the doctors tell you to do. This isn't an effort. See, this is what they said last year about Tua. This is what the union said. 
We need to treat these individuals as patients. This isn't a checklist to get a guy back on the field. Treat him like patients. There's no we involved. We implies it was all a team effort to allow TJ Watt to keep playing. That we're beating the system. We're defying the, the, the man. We're doing what we want to do. We're reaching whatever findings we have to reach to allow us to do whatever we want to do. It's not the way it should be. And Chris and I were talking about this earlier today, but I think it's an important point. The NFL has got to pick a lane here. Either the NFL is going to pretend that it's going to be big brother for these players and tell them when to leave the games no matter what, or you know what? As long as the player wants to play, let them play. As long as they're, they're able to answer the basic questions. How many fingers? What day is it? Where are you? What's your name? What's the score? As long as they can satisfy a very baseline threshold understanding, let them keep playing if they want to play. They know the risks by now. They know. And they're wired to play. But see, the problem is when a player's had a concussion, his brain's impaired. That impaired brain is going to cause him to do things he wouldn't otherwise do. And they're wired to keep playing. That's your default. There's a certain amount of denial. You don't want to think you have a concussion. So if I'm able to keep playing, I must not have a concussion, even if I have a concussion. They just need to button this up. Because right now it feels broken. And the Stroud situation, Trevor Lawrence, TJ Watt, I mean, we've had three of these now in two weeks. They just, they look fishy and the league needs to get it under control. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. One last thing before I answer some questions. The Sean Stellato, Tommy DeVito dynamic. DeVito has a new marketing agent. Based on the reporting in the New York Post, DeVito hired the new marketing agent before this weird issue of Stellato agreeing to $10,000 for an appearance fee and then jacking the price allegedly to 20000 after the Giants beat the Packers on a Monday night nine days ago. That got resolved with DeVito showing up at the pizzeria in question, Coniglio's old fashion of Morristown, New Jersey. DeVito was there, so they worked it out, apparently without Stellato. Max Lepselder, the new marketing agent for Tommy DeVito. And 
you know, you can throw around the word agent and I was not fully articulate last night with a tweet. I was with the story. I should have added the word marketing agent. Mark, for, for a guy like Tommy DeVito, I don't know why I've got, I don't, I don't know what I said to cause confetti to fall. I saw confetti fall. That was weird. I don't know what made the confetti fall. But regardless, what was I saying? Um, for a guy like Tommy DeVito, he's under contract for two years at the absolute bare minimum for an undrafted rookie. After that, he'd be an exclusive rights free agent, which means not a free agent. The Giants can keep him around for one more year at the minimum for a third-year player. And who knows what happens after that? It would be restricted free agent and then unrestricted free agent. But he's a few years away from having the football agent in a position to do anything more than what he's already done. The football agent has gotten him on the Giants, and DeVito's played well enough that the Giants are going to want to keep him around. Because it's cheap. Look at what quarterbacks cost, backups on the open market. He's going to make under a million next year as presumably the number two to Daniel Jones, who's making $40 million. So Stilato's work is done this year, next year, the year after, and the year after that. The question becomes after his fourth season, what happens? Do they negotiate a contract to keep him around with the Giants? Does he become a free agent? Where does he go? So that's not the hard part of the job at this point. And for his efforts, Stilato is going to get like 3% max of this low-end NFL salary. Where you're going to make the money is as the marketing agent. Usually the football agent is the more significant figure in this relationship if you've got player, football agent, and marketing agent. But when you're talking about a guy who isn't in a position to get a raise for multiple years, and the Giants have the rights, they have the power, they have the leverage to pay him peanuts, and they surely will do it because every team does that. You're going to make your money if you're Tommy DeVito off the field. And the marketing agent typically gets 10 to 20%. That's the much more lucrative gig for now. And for Sean Stilato to lose that and to be replaced by somebody else that's either the first step towards Stilato being out altogether, or it really does kind of put him in a box. It freezes him out of the marketing dollars. And that's where the unlimited potential is. What can you do as a marketing agent to get the most out of Tommy DeVito as an endorser, as somebody who makes appearances, signs autographs, somebody who fully capitalizes on this Tommy DeVito phenomenon? It's completely separate from the football contract, and Sean Stilato now has nothing to do with this unlimited potential of revenue opportunities for endorsements and off-field earnings. Stilato's going to get his 2 3%, whatever his agreement is with, with DeVito, from that bargain basement peanuts minimum salary he's going to make this year, next year, and the year after that, and maybe the year after that as a restricted free agent. It'll be more as a restricted free agent for the next three years. It's, it's nothing. And there's nothing for Stilato to do by way of any real negotiations until three or four years in to DeVito's career. All right, let's answer some questions. PFTPM Posse, how similar is the end of the Belichick era in New England to the end of the Tom Landry era in Dallas? Both are Hall of Fame head coaches with amazing runs who fizzled out at the end after the stars got old and or left and the game seemingly passed them by. Well, I mean, the difference is 
Jerry Jones bought the team and fired Tom Landry. If the team hadn't been sold, I don't know how long Landry would have been there. With Belichick, this is his best player leaves, and after five years, it's clear that maybe the best player that he had had a lot to do with the success, and now it's just time for a change. It's time to get back to winning. It's time for the Patriots to try to rediscover whatever it was that made them such a great team with a new coach, a new way, a new approach. And, you know, what happened after Landry was fired and Jimmy Johnson was hired? They get Troy Aikman, foundational piece, franchise quarterback, guy who helps with a great team around him, the Cowboys to win three Super Bowls. So you ultimately have to have the quarterback. Whatever the Patriots do next, they need a quarterback and they need somebody who can coach the most out of that quarterback to get back to the point where they have the kind of quarterback play that allows them to be a great team. PFDP and policy, if a quarterback's armband with all the plays on it falls off during a play and the defense recovers it, do they have to give it back? And if so, why? It seems similar to losing a player to injury since shit happens in a physical game like pro football. Look, I... I don't know if there's a rule on the books for what you're supposed to do if the quarterback loses his armband. We saw that on Sunday in the Cowboys-Bills game. Josh Allen's armband came off and somebody got it and gave it to him. I doubt that it's fair game to abscond with it if you're the defense. It's just one of those things that basic interests of good sportsmanship require both sides to comply with something like that. Give the guy his wristband back and let's go forward. I, I can't imagine there being any sort of a rule that would allow a defense to play finders keepers with a quarterback's armband with the plays on it. PFTP and Posse, could Belichick and Kraft just pawn this offseason contract extension off on another team? And since we don't know any details of the extension, maybe the Patriots only receive financial compensation for Belichick. Look, Belichick's making at least $20 million a year, maybe $25 million. And he was a free agent last year but didn't become a free agent, didn't try to leave. I talked earlier that coaches never become free agents in the sense that they say, my contract's up and I'm going elsewhere. He could have gone anywhere he wanted last year and he didn't. Signed a two-year contract. The next year, 2024, is what has to be dealt with by the Patriots and by Belichick. Now, on one hand, I think the Patriots would like to move on from Belichick while also working out a deal where they trade him as a practical matter to another team. I think that Robert Kraft shouldn't be allowed to have his cake and eat it. I think he's either got to fire Belichick and owe him the difference between what Belichick was due to make next year and whatever someone else pays him or just let him go or keep him. I think the solution here is I've talked about it. I've written about it. The solution is the two sides just go their separate ways, rip up the contract. Belichick leaves with no obligation for any new team to work out a trade with the Patriots and Kraft has no financial obligation to Belichick. Belichick goes wherever he wants, gets whatever he's going to get paid, and he moves on. They completely separate, conscious uncoupling, and they move forward. That's the right outcome. I think Kraft is going to try to thread the needle, and I think Belichick is going to try to break the needle. The best thing they can do is shake hands, part company, Belichick's a free agent, Kraft owes nothing, Kraft gets nothing, Kraft goes and hires a new coach. Burn unit, you said yesterday you have to have a solution to the complaints made by Tom Brady. I made the point on PFT Live that Tom Brady wants to complain about defensive players getting flagged for 
hits to the head and neck area of defenseless players, when it's quarterback's fault for throwing the hospital ball, well, what are you going to do? Throw the flag on the quarterback? That was my point. He's identifying a problem and not providing a solution. The hip drop tackle, that's the question here. The problem is that that grabbing, twisting, and falling onto the legs of the ball carrier creates an enhanced risk of injury. What's the solution? Well, the easy solution is don't do it. Tackle the player without grabbing him by the waist, twisting him and falling down. Find another way to get him to the ground. There's a gator roll, rugby style. Grab the legs. Grab the legs and hold on. Grab the ankles and hold on. Instead of grabbing the waist and falling on the legs. That's it. That's simple. The people who just don't want to have defensive football encumbered in any way, shape, or form are going to feign ignorance. I don't know what a hip drop tackle is. I don't know what else to do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's just a way to say, I don't want to change. I want to have this in my arsenal. But the reality is it's injuring players. Tyreek Hill didn't play this past week because of a hip drop tackle. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson has been out for a few weeks now because of a hip drop tackle. Tony Pollard broke his ankle in the playoffs last year against the 49ers because of a hip drop tackle. You know, if we act like we care about players being healthy and making their money, why do we want a technique that is proven to be unsafe to be permitted as a way to get a guy to the ground. And I know you still got to get the the guy to the ground, but this is not the way to do it because it's not safe. When the horse collar tackle was identified as an unsafe technique, there was no uproar. There was no outcry. Oh, we must have this horse collar tackle. We must be able to pull the guy by the back of his shirt down to the ground. It went away and players comply. Hip drop tackle needs to go away and players will comply. So the easy solution is just don't do it. The more nuanced solution is grab his legs, get him around the ankles, and hold on until he comes down. That is far safer than grabbing him around the waist, twisting, and falling with your body weight and or his body weight onto the legs of the player. Dr. J144, legal question. If college athletes eventually become employees, could their schools make them sign non-compete agreements? Wouldn't that end the transfer portal? Basically, it's a great question. Once they become employees, it's no different than the NFL, where you sign a contract that covers a certain number of years. One of the reasons the transfer portal has gone haywire is they're not employees. They can come and go as they choose. So if they become employees, that's one of the unintended consequences that will reduce movement by players. You will have players under contract for a certain number of years. Now it's up to the players to negotiate how long of a contract they sign. One, two, three, four, five. I don't know. But that's a great point. Once they become employees, they're subject to the same laws of contract that apply to any other employee who has a contract. We'll see where it goes. We need to get to the point where the players are getting paid. The reckoning is coming, and I trust lawsuits, groundswell, at least players are getting NIL money. Once they are employees of the schools, yes. They will sign contracts, and they will be required to honor those contracts. And they won't be able to jump to another school. Not will we have trades. That's an interesting point. Will colleges trade players? Will that be allowed? What will the rules be? See, the problem is, and this is the next step. Let's play this out. The players become employees. Then do they unionize? Like they tried to do at Northwestern several years ago? And do you have a union for every school? Or is that the point where 
the universities come together under the umbrella of the NCAA, and there is basically an NCAA Players Association where you negotiate a global contract that addresses all of these things, what the pay will be, what the rights will be, will there be some sort of free agency, will there be trades, what are the rules now? That's the best way to do it. It works for the NFL to just have one global body that negotiates on behalf of all universities. And you're allowed to do it in a multi-employer bargaining unit. They'd be allowed to do it. Interesting. A lot of issues that are lurking if and when the NCAA gets to the point where it's paying players directly. Some of them will be good. Some of them will be not good. Some of them will be simple and some of them will be complicated. So great question there, Dr. J144. Tyler Hergert, if you had to cover another sport as extensively as you do with football, what would you cover and why? I would just retire. There's no other sport I'm interested in enough and care about enough to cover every waking moment for the most part of every day. I spend most of my time writing about the NFL, talking about the NFL, thinking about the NFL. My only break is when I ride my bike for an hour every day that I'm here, I ride my bike for an hour. Now I'll watch hard knocks. I'll watch games. I'll watch different things. So I'm still kind of glued in. I'll take calls. I'll do business. I'll, I'll send texts. As long as I don't fall off the bike, there's all sorts of stuff I can do. Obviously meals, sleep, total of six a day on average, four and a half to five at night, an hour to an hour and a half in the afternoon. A couple of nights a week, my wife actually has to deal with me. We'll spend time together beyond eating dinner together and just the other times we see each other around the house, a little break here and there. A couple of nights a week, we'll watch something or go somewhere go out to dinner, though we haven't done that in a while. And the few nights a week that I shut down and work on my hobby, you know, this used to be my hobby. Now writing fiction is my hobby. And I only have so many hours per day, only so many days per week that I can even focus on that, especially during the season. Off season, I could probably do and I have done more. And it's a way that balances out it's a stress reliever, and it it gives me a chance to write creatively something that has more relevance than everything I write at PFT, because everything I write today by tomorrow doesn't matter. Everything I write tomorrow by the next day doesn't matter. I like writing something that maybe somebody will come across in 50 years after I'm dead and gone, and they'll read it, and they say, hey, that wasn't bad. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Amused to death, I'm a realist Eagles fan. What would you say happened this season? They used to be able to run at will. They can't even get three yards if they wanted to right now. Absolutely everything is in shambles. How would you sum it up? Well, I think they missed the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. They missed Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon. This is partially the curse of having a great team. Your coordinators get rewarded with head coaching jobs. Look at what Steichen's doing with the Colts. And Gannon's doing a good job with the Cardinals, given that the front office didn't really seem to be prioritizing winning this year. And they haven't been winning, but they haven't given up. They haven't dropped a turd like what we saw last Thursday night from the Chargers. That's for damn sure. The players are still trying hard. They missed Steichen and they missed Gannon. And look at what they've done with Desai. He's exiled to the booth and Matt Patricia's in charge. We talked about this each of the last two days on PFT Live. That play, when you got first and 10 on your own 45, 13 seconds left and two timeouts and all you need is a field goal to force overtime. To throw it to the 20, Ill-advised play call, ill-advised decision-making. Somebody messed that up. And the comments from Jalen Hurts after the game, when I saw those live, I was, it was jarring. Question of commitment. Do enough players have a full commitment? So, look, it's hard to climb the mountain and go back to what Dennis Green used to call the Valley of Zero and Zero and do it all over again. And we know it's very hard when you get to the Super Bowl to get back. Not many teams have lost and gotten back and won. And it's been 20 years now since the team has won back-to-back. You have a huge target on you. Everyone is motivated to take you on. And they've hit a rough spot now. They should win their last three games. They should win the division. But if it's Rams-Eagles... That's an interesting wild card game. Rams could win that one. And then if the Eagles have to go to Dallas or San Francisco, they're not going to last. They're not going to last. If they have to go to San Francisco, it's over. If they have to go to Dallas, it's over. It's not a disappointing season. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not saying they should give up. But the defense is lacking. And offensively, other than that brotherly shove, there's just issues. DeAndre Swift's done well in the run game from time to time. And, you know, Jason Kelsey's not going to be there much longer. This is a team, for a while it felt like, man, the Eagles are here to stay. They didn't even carry that vibe out to the end of the season. Rob Buffalo, would you add a Simsism in a future book and would your editor catch it? That's the first question. I think I've had some deliberate Simsisms. I think father of mine has, like some of the mob dialogue has deliberate simsisms in it so i think i've already crossed that bridge second question any concern over jerry jones getting richer from business with other teams via legends i.e construction and concessions for the new bill stadium i don't know that people are concerned about it they're letting him do it it's jerry jones and the yankees coming together to create legends hospitality and yes it's heavily involved in like sofi stadium and other venues so The oligarchs don't seem to have a problem with it. If they don't, why should we? Burn unit. 
for the Brock Purdy versus Christian McCaffrey MVP talk, which would affect the team more? Darnold in for Purdy or Mason in for McCaffrey? It's that losing Purdy would be more detrimental. I got to let her out. My wife's home. Hang on. Go ahead. When mommy's home, Macy no longer wants to be in here. She'll go out there and cry at the door until Jill walks in. So we don't know what Darnold can do. We know that Kyle Shanahan loves Sam Darnold. We have no idea what he can do. And this gets into like some of those analytics terms, like what's your, you know, the, the, the difference between the starter and the backup and why are you paying the starter all that money when the backup isn't that much worse and he's a lot cheaper. Now, in this case, obviously, Brock Purdy's a lot cheaper because of his contract as the last player drafted. But as it relates to overall value, I think McCaffrey, we don't know because we haven't seen Darnold play for them yet. But my hunch would be they'd miss McCaffrey more than they'd miss Purdy. Not by much, but that would be my hunch. Because look at how McCaffrey has transformed that offense in his year and a half with the team. Dr. J144, if you're Mike Tomlin, how do you handle George Pickens? Do you still play him because you're in a playoff push or bench him to send a message that you can't play here if you're not giving effort? I think it's something that you deal with. Practice field, meeting rooms, you get him ready, you give him one more chance. And if there's any more sign of loafing, you get him off the field. And then after the season, you trade him to somebody else, just like they did with Chase Claypool. The problem is, with Claypool, they kept all that stuff under wraps. And here come the unsuspecting Bears giving up what became the first pick in round two and as a practical matter, the last pick in round one for Claypool because nobody knew that he was a problem. It's going to be hard to get that kind of a pick for Pickens because everybody knows he's a potential problem given the way he's behaved this year. And it's a shame. I'm a big George Pickens fan. And I'm not saying he's actually wrong to feel the way he feels, but that doesn't mean you shut it down. That doesn't mean you loaf. You still go out and give it your all all the time. Daniel Kunamoto, do you think the matchup this weekend between the Ravens and 49ers will decide who wins MVP between Lamar Jackson and Brock Purdy? Sort of yes. As I said earlier, if the Ravens win, it's Jackson's. If the 49ers win, there's still this question of who is it? McCaffrey, Purdy? You can make a case for Debo. They're all being very polite with each other. Trent Williams is a guy that it's never going to happen. An offensive lineman has never been MVP. A kicker has been MVP, but an offensive lineman has never been you can make the argument that he's as important as anyone to that offense. Justin Prasuti, since 2021, the Steelers have won only three games by more than eight points. It seems like they masked the problems with a little luck and a little pasta meatballs renegade. Do you think an offensive head coach would be better suited for Pickett's development and growth slash maturity of young talent on offense? You know, the problem is, going back to Chuck Noll, they've, they've gone defensive coach. If they move on to a new head coach, if Mike Tomlin wants to leave, they trade him, whatever, are they going to go offensive coach or are they going to go defensive coach? Interesting question for Art Rooney, who will be ultimately making the call as to who the next coach would be if it comes to that. I'm a firm believer, as you may recall, in having an offensive head coach at all times because it's an offensive league. You want your quarterback and your head coach to have that relationship where they, they go Sean Payton, Drew Brees for 10, 15 years. Because if you have a defensive coach, your offensive coordinator, if he works well with your quarterback, he gets rewarded with a head coaching job somewhere else. And then you better hope the next offensive coordinator isn't Ken Dorsey. So I'd always go offensive head coach. All right. I should probably wrap this up. Delete Brow. From what you can see in your reporting, what is the state of the relationship between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson? It appears they've worked out a way to work, but 
does Peyton see Russ as the future? Does he want to cut bait and trade for Justin Fields or draft a starter? I mean, look, we don't know any of that because he's not going to say so. All I know is there are 37 million reasons for the Broncos to at least consider a future without Russell Wilson. That's how much becomes fully vested in March. If they don't cut him by then, they're going to have him for at least two more years. So is Sean Payton comfortable working with him? Or is there someone else Sean Payton thinks he would be better working with? That reaction by Payton to Wilson on Saturday night was so bizarre. And the way that Wilson, excuse me, the way that Payton was going at Wilson, it just made me think that it was the culmination of just frustrations and trying to coach this guy and he can't get through to him. And how many times have I told you this? I've told you this over and over again. Just the body language and just the way the words were coming out. It felt like that kind of, as somebody who's been on the receiving end of that kind of a tongue lashing, it felt like it was more than just the moment. That it was, how many times do we have to freaking do this? How many times do I have to tell you this? I've told you this. Damn it, I've told you this. I've told you this time and again. That's what it felt like to me. All right, I should probably wrap this up. Tom Marshall, Abizona, UK. If the NFL really is riddled with mediocrity, why didn't Tom Brady unretire? I, it's a great question. This would have been a perfect year for him to come back and play for somebody. I just think once he made the decision that he was going to be, you know, more present for his kids and it was just time. He said last year he still loves football. He still could play at a high level and he could. He just decided it was time to walk away. And I'm curious to see how he's going to be next year working for Fox. If that only happens, some think it won't. I think it will. It's too much money for him to walk away from. What's his style going to be? Is he going to be old man yelling at clouds? Is he going to be, you know, back in my day, is he always going to bring it back to himself? That was where both Joe Montana and Bill Walsh were kind of bad as broadcasters. They always tried to bring it back to themselves. You can't be first person in all this. You can weave in your own experiences without saying, in my experience, it was this. We did this. We did that. Just talk about what they're doing and talk about what maybe they should do differently. It can't be too much about we did this, I did this, I would do that, we would do that. There's just, there's a, it's not all that subtle. You know it when you hear it. I'm just going to be curious how much of his own personal experiences are mentioned expressly when he's calling these games. Mr. Palmerson, is Tommy DeVito the real deal or just a fun story and a passing fad? I mean, based on how he played against the Saints, maybe a passing fad. He, he came in and he played well. And he's played well enough to be the backup to Daniel Jones. Is he going to be a starter someday? I don't know. But so far as an undrafted free agent, it's been a nice story. And we always like a nice story. We'll see where it goes from here. Buffalo expat. Regarding Seattle waiting until kickoff to announce their starting quarterback on Monday night, is there no NFL rule about this? Other professional sports punish teams for failing to provide complete starting lineups. How does the fine happy NFL not have a similar rule in place? You're not required to announce a starter per se. You have to have a depth chart. You're not required to adhere to the depth chart. In this case, you have a quarterback who was injured. You're making the decision about whether or not the injured quarterback is going to be able to play. You're making it at the last possible minute, and you're just keeping your mouth shut about it. There's not a problem with it. Now, it would be interesting to see what would happen if a team would have two quarterbacks, name them co-starters in the regular season, and run it all the way up to kickoff. The, the, the reality is, if both quarterbacks are healthy, see, if you've got a quarterback who's injured and isn't practicing, and the backup is taking the reps with the first team, the fact that the backup's taking the reps doesn't tell us that the starter's not going to play. We don't know the starter's not going to play until he doesn't play. 
If you had two healthy quarterbacks and you were trying to play this game right up until kickoff, it's very hard to get everyone to shut up. There's too many people who know who's getting the reps and it's going to get out that way. Every once in a while, there's a coach who thinks he's going to be the one to kind of coerce his players and everyone around the team into not saying anything. It's hard to do. So I think the opportunity just fell into Pete Carroll's lap and he took full advantage of it. Are the Cowboys pretenders or contenders? Asks Joe Don. Well, point Chris Sims made when it was 31-3. You lose like that in December. Home or away, it doesn't matter. You lose like that in December. How are you a Super Bowl contender? How are you going to make it to the top of the mountain? They've already lost 42 to 10 to the 49ers. 31 to 10 to the Bills. How are you going to make it? What's what what are you going to access that's going to allow you to win those games in the playoffs when you weren't able to access it on that that day in Buffalo when ultimately Cowboys would have taken control of the division if they'd won that game, given that the Eagles lost. That's the one thing I'll, I'll end with this. Wrote about it yesterday, talked about it today on PFT Live. The idea that if the Cowboys went out, they've got the Dolphins, then the Lions, then the Commanders. And if the Eagles went out, Giants, Cardinals, Giants. If both teams went out and they had the same record, the Eagles will win the division most likely on the fifth tiebreaker, strength of victory, which is the cumulative one loss percentage of all the teams that you've beaten. The Eagles currently have a pretty large lead. The Cowboys opponents that they've beaten are just over 50%. The teams that the Eagles have beaten, uh, beaten are, are, I think, at or north of 60 as their winning percentage cumulatively. It's amazing to think we'd go five down on the tiebreakers to determine the huge difference between two and five. That's a huge difference. Two, you're at home, wild card round, facing the seventh seed. Five, you're on the road against the four seed. And, and really, maybe it's better to be five this year. You go play the NFC South champion instead of having a team like the Rams, who are hot and maybe getting hotter coming into your town in the wild card round. We've never seen seven beat two. It's probably better to be two. All the Eagles have to do to be two is win the next three games, Giants, Cardinals, Giants, and hope that this huge advantage they currently have in strength of victory doesn't collapse between now and the end of the regular season. All right. That's it. Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Happy holidays. Be safe. Be smart. I'm not signing off until after Christmas, though, because what we have coming up, Thursday, PFT Live, then the Joint Megapix podcast, Friday, PFT Live, Saturday, coverage starts at 3 o'clock Eastern on NBC and Peacock, Bengals at Steelers, Bridge Show in between, and then B Buffalo Bills at LA Chargers exclusively on Peacock Holiday Doubleheader. And then we'll be plugged in all day Sunday. I'm getting to stay home this weekend. So I'm going to be down in the barn for the first time since last Christmas Eve. I'll be down in the barn watching all the games on that 16th Sunday of the regular season. So that'll be fun. Looking forward to that. And then Monday, we got the three games and it all ends with Ravens 49ers and Tuesday morning. On the 26th, 7 to 9 Eastern, Sims and I will break down everything that happens in the latest edition of the game of the year. We'll see if it's a game or not between the Ravens and the 49ers. But a lot of football between now and then. A lot to talk about here at PFT Live, profootballtalk.com. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. Stick with us through Christmas Day and beyond. We'll talk to you real soon.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 